0: this is the 18th season of bass talk live with your host matt Pangram. btl is brought to you by Lorenz, bass Cat boats afco strike king lures sunline Big Bite Baits, Spro, X-Zone Lures, Gamakatsu, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, and Pro Guide Batteries.
1: BTL,
0: coming at ya! Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live, where we are going to talk about bass fishing. I'm not sure where today's show is going to go. I'm just going to say that right off the top because uh, we're going to take a deep dive into the world of AAA bass fishing. Like we've talked about the open, we've talked about how there's 170 some that are already registered and the divisions are full. We've had Marty Stone talking about how the invitationals are now a stepping stone. We're seeing guys from the NPFL... In in David Gasson and and uh John Soakup and I'm forgetting the dude who just qualified at Hartwell, who's like just as good, if not better, from any uh, both of those guys. Anyway, making that jump there. But we're seeing a lot of the success stories, and uh we're gonna just we're gonna go grinding. It's we're gonna be like uh we're gonna kinda take a deep dive into what it actually takes. And uh I remember for like three or four years, Jeffries and and it drove me nuts when i sat right over there in the in the in the uh co-host seat was and i thought he was just doing it to get a rise and now part of me thinks that there might be more to it is he's like well how, how much does luck have into it was that a lucky bite is that a lucky fish what about that top 10 was it was it uh? and 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 i was like oh there's zero luck zero luck but i think there might be a point and and maybe not maybe I'm totally wrong on this but where you get down to the bottleneck where you get close enough and you have to have a break you have to have a break that gets you through like if it's like if you're like trying to go up the hourglass like you get up to where it bottlenecks and you're trying to get up into the top echelon but you have to have something that happens that allows you to pop through and I'm I mean, maybe it's just because it's winter in the off season. I have a lot of time to think, but I'm starting to wonder, is that break that you need to get through there? Is that skill? Is that something that you've done in the past? Is that like paying your dues? Or maybe is there an element of luck involved to get to the top of that? So it'll be, it'll be very interesting. Anyway, guy I have a ton of respect for. I don't think he's been on BTL before. I don't think has. Joel, have you been on BTL before? No, Joel has not been on BTL. It is Joel Willard, uh, originally from Wisconsin, lives in Minnesota now. And uh, dude, I got a I got a sheet full of facts. You know how much I like stats. I like to look at the uh, at the intangibles, the stat, the statistics. And uh, he for the last uh, better part of a decade, Joel has been uh, all over the fishing industry. So we're going to talk to Joel Willard in a second. I do want to remind it is uh, best on tour giveaway week here on btl so like i said they are back as a title sponsor uh for the open eqs for a third year so i will be running a best on tour bass cat in 2023 but if you are not signed up for this weekly newsletter and i'm going to do this every show this week because it runs uh through this week primarily go to bestontour.net register just name an email once a week direct to your inbox Top 10 things that are going on in the industry. A lot of people in the industry, including myself, contribute that. If you, I mean, there's no reason why you shouldn't do that. It's a cool deal. And if you're a new subscriber, you subscribe bestontour.net. They have a list of the new subscribers you are entered to win. Uh, hats, shirts, t-shirts, all sorts of stuff. All right, let's bring in today's guest, none other than Joel Willard. What's up, dude? Thanks for jumping on BTL.
2: Thanks for having me, man. I' uh, excited to be here, and you know I'm a long time listener. And I always thought I can't wait to you know have my first time on BTL because that means I probably did something pretty awesome in the fishing industry. You know, maybe win an open or go catch a thirty pound bag or do something pretty cool. But um, either way, excited to be here. And
0: we have done something pretty cool. You have won like multiple opens. You are uh, you're over t- like two hundred thousand dollars in earnings. Like, you've won a quarter million dollars in the past five years bass fishing. I'd say that's pretty impressive.
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely a good run. A lot of that uh, from, was from the back of the boat and the co side when I was starting out. But either way, it's uh, it's been a fun ride.
0: All right. Where are you, you're in Minnesota now, originally from Wisconsin?
2: Yep. Yep, Minnesota here now. And uh, it's starting to lock up up here, the lakes. And we're supposed to get five to eight inches of snow today, so...
0: Do you do the ice fishing thing? Like I'm buddies with Bartuzik and the Crappie Chronicles guys and I watch it and it's like, oh, early ice. And then you're like, see the thing on Red Lake where it's like 150 guys stranded on Red Lake walleye fishing and they have to like put a bridge out to get them across. Or do you, do you stay off the hard water?
2: I mean, I'll, I'll go every once in a while. I don't, I wouldn't call myself a big ice fisherman. Uh, I, excuse me. I do enjoy it. Um, you know, I got some buddies, uh, that, you know, work, landscape and that kind of stuff that uh that landscape all summer and then they get the winters off so they just ice fish all winter and they find the fish and they call me up and say hey come come jump in a warm ice shack and come catch some fish so that's about the extent of my ice fishing right now
0: if you're good at open water fishing are you good at ice fishing and vice versa or is it like a fly fishing deal where you can really suck at one and be good at the other
2: i mean i i think there's a lot of spots like I know lakes that you can go to that definitely have different kinds of structure that's will winter on. And with today's electronics, I mean, you know, with the, with the forward facing sonars out there, I mean, you're just drilling holes and putting your, putting your forward facing sonar down there, looking where the schools of fish are and then going to drill another hole on top of them and catching them. So it seems like it's getting a lot, a lot easier. I mean, you know, like I said, I don't spend a lot of time on the ice, but from the, the few times I have been out there and, with the guys have gone, they have all the all the new electronics and they make it pretty easy, it seems like.
0: Yeah, the one time I went, that was nuts. A, I learned how effective a flasher could be. Like I've always seen it. So I've been in the boat with like Fritz at media events and stuff and I thought it was just like a nostalgia thing, like a comfort blanket maybe for him. But then you get on the ice and you're like, holy cow, like once you know what you're looking at, a flasher is an incredibly effective tool for vertical presentations and knowing what's underneath you.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, that's what I grew up using as a Vexilar, and uh, yeah, it's definitely a big advantage. I mean, it's it's basically just, yeah, no different than a 2D sonar. If you're fishing right over top of those fish, you watch your bait go down and go right to them, hold it, hold it above them a little bit, and watch them come up and eat it.
0: And then the other thing that I noticed was it's ridiculous how aware— the fish are of what's going on above the ice. when you use the forward facing sonar? Because you can go right, like, right to where they are and they somehow know a foot through a foot of ice and snow, what the heck's going on up there and know that they need to stay just out of reach. It's the yeah. weirdest thing I've ever seen.
2: Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure all that noise up there, all the echoes killing, killing a power auger through the ice is uh spooks them a little bit and whatever. I mean, it's, I don't I don't really know a whole lot about it and haven't spent enough time in the last few years doing it, but um I can just imagine how loud it is below the below the ice down in the water.
0: I swore I wouldn't do this again, but last Thursday I stopped by here. Listen to this. That that is the sound of fruit cake flavored Mountain Dew. <laughs> wow.
2: <laughs> That's
0: <laughs> I got one for last week's show just to just to mess with Frank, and then I kind of took it's got a little bit of a fruitcake Christmas spice flavor to it hmm. all right for those people who don't know who you are they're listening to btl how would you describe yourself right now like if you were to say hey like you know joel nice
2: to meet you what what do you do I'm just a guy that loves bass fishing and has you know been, been making a run at it for a few years and you know it's it's really um Really want to do what i wanted to do and what i want to do is just bass fish and be on the water at all times and uh you know i i guess a little little history about me you know when i got out of high school i i joined the military right away and you know i've always growing up i always fished i fished a few local tournaments growing up you know the thursday nighters back on the home lake and with some buddies and whatever else and once i got out of high school i joined the military and was in the military and that you know kind of took away from from fishing for a while there did a couple of seasons uh overseas tours and uh you know i took a damper on on fishing for a handful of years and then kind of got back into it and uh just kind of jumped into the into the national tournament scene um you know on the back of the boat had some buddies that i was traveling with metal travel partner greg mansfield he was uh fishing at the front of the boat so i was able to travel with him a little bit and you know fish as a co-angler out the back and had a bunch had a bunch of success uh out of the back and kind of set me up to to financially and you know the confidence to move to the front and, and it's uh been doing been doing it from the front i guess since 20 well 2019 i went full-time uh, from the front
0: so your second open so in 16 and 16 you fish as a co-angler in the uh you fished in one in fifteen, but in sixteen you fish as a co angler in the northern opens. Who'd you draw then? Were you, was Greg fishing that too? Yep. Was that who you? Okay, so he was fishing as a boater. You jumped in as a co. Right. You got you were out of the military at what in what year? Uh,
2: so I did three years active, and then I joined the joined the National Guard. Um, I did nine years, so I was I was out in two thousand twelve.
0: Okay, so you jump in, in in sixteen and you win on Oneida. Who'd you draw there?
2: Um, Steve Mui on day one, you fish with Steve, yeah. Day one, (laughs) really, I didn't know that, yeah, yeah. Shane Burlow on day two, and then uh, the final day I had um, Will Hardy, he actually won the tournament. Oh, um, wow, those are good, those are good, yeah.
0: Uh, so to fast forward through it, so you win that one, so you have one co angler win under your belt, and then you jump over. Uh, to the FLW Tour.
2: FLW Tour at the time, yep.
0: A- FLW Tour, which was, I guess, the last... Well, no, 19 would, be, would have been the last year. So in 2018, but it was the last year they had co-anglers, correct?
2: Right, yep. And
0: you win back-to-back tournaments out of the back of the boat on FLW and do over $50,000 out of the back of the boat in one yep. year. So yeah. what was the entry fees for that as a co at the time?
2: Uh, I don't really Like, I mean,
0: you were profit you were make like made oh, yeah. tens yeah, of thousands were, of dollars.
2: Yeah, I think there were like maybe four hundred and fifty or five hundred dollars in event.
0: Really? So then uh it's interesting. So I found the article from you know, Minnesota Co Angler wins again. And uh in that article you talked about in in from April of twenty uh eighteen. You you talked about how this is all part of the part of the game plan. You know, I've been looking forward to eventually making a living fishing uh for a long time, winning that last tournament and now this one should make that happen. So then you were been pretty much all in since twenty nineteen, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh through the Co Angler division I qualified to move to the front of the boat as a boater and uh 2019 for the for the FLW tour and caught him. You know, what's that? Caught him. Yeah, I mean it was a good year. I, looking back now, I'm like I, I have no idea how I even did that or what. I just went fishing and you know obviously I've learned so much um since then. But looking back now, I'm like man, I I think I got pretty lucky at, you know how how well I did. I mean I took 20. I think it's 23rd and yeah. angler of the year made the. Made the Forestwood Cup that year had a good finish in the cup. I think the finish. last cup ever. Yeah, the last Thrifts
0: Cup, cup on Hamilton.
2: Yeah. yeah. and uh, yeah, had a good year that year, and I mean it was it was a good year. I mean, I you know I cashed in checks and and made a championship, but again, you know I I about broke even with you know I was covering everything out of my own pocket that year, um, no sponsor help at all. You know everything that I had made. Um, from the previous year and then, you know, my boat I was using, I, I had a, an old bass boat uh, before I won that co-angler one up on Oneida on that's time in the opens they were giving away a boat. So I sold both of those boats and got a, got a new uh, 21-foot bass boat and that's what I fished out of uh, the first year on the FLW Tour. So I have my boat covered and then all the expenses I paid my entry fees and, uh, and my travel costs with what I won the previous year as a co-angler.
0: So that was roughly, so two years, yeah, you were like $120,000, $130,000 in winnings and it cost probably a little bit less than that. So that's interesting. So no, you didn't have a single paying sponsor that like was a industry company that wrote Joel Willard fishing a a check those years. That was all back of the boat, co-angler, boat winnings to get your start.
2: Yep. yep, And
0: Were you doing anything on the side then or were you just fishing?
2: I was just fishing. Um, I did, I did work uh, for a company up here in Minnesota. Um, And I was, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, kind of take a part-time position. I I stepped down from a full-time position, which I was doing uh, previous to that. And they gave me a part-time position. I was able to work when I was home if I, if I wanted to, and uh, you know, it worked out, worked out really good. But um, in 2019, I still worked a little bit when I was home, you know, through the, you know, through the breaks that we had when I was home. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then at the end of 2019, I resigned from that position and just said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go all in and stay on the road and, and travel and try to make this happen.
0: So I think that's when I met you then in 2020, uh, because I only fished one division of the opens in 2020 and I fished two divisions of the Toyotas in 19. But, uh, what made you make the move over to the opens instead of jump into the pro circuit in 2020?
2: Well, you know, I mean, I've always, I obviously grew up watching, watching the elite series and I was, uh, you know, that was just kind of where my, where my mindset was, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to make the best master elite series and, you know, doing, doing the FLW tour that year, you know, having a, a pretty good year and in, in breaking even, you know, I just, I knew in the back of my head that if I could, if I went out there and did it again with those entry fees and doing all that and had a bad year, I was only, I was really only one bad year from not being able to, to do what I wanted, um, you know, to put my, set my goals basically to, to keep fishing. So I decided to fish the opens instead and, you know, the entry fees are obviously a lot, a lot less. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to kind of focus everything on the opens and, and try to, to make the elites.
0: Did you pick up any, I'm trying to get a timeline here because I'm just, I just want to see how this works out. So did you pick up any sponsors after a great year at top 25 in the Angler of the Year? You finished 12th in the Cup at Hamilton. At that point, you'd had three major wins out of the back of the boat as a co-angler. You were an angler that qualified for the tour based off of back-to-back wins. Were there any, Kind of deals that started developing then three four years ago
2: yeah they did um yeah i got my first paying sponsor after that um had a few other sponsors come on board you know product deals and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and uh um you know it wasn't it wasn't enough to to cover all the expensive fishing but everything helped you know everything helped out and uh you know was getting my feet wet and and doing what i could to keep fishing and obviously help all my sponsors and do everything I could to uh, just keep the ball rolling.
0: Yeah. So 2020, de- decent year. I mean, you were top 10 in the overall, top 30s in both the Eastern and the Central Division. You did $10,000. Uh, I I hate to use the term earnings. So you had $10,000 in checks against sixteen two in earnings, but it sounded like you had a little bit of uh, income coming in from sponsor-wise. And then 2021 happened. And I think that's where there were a lot of people uh, that had maybe knew who you or or Greg Mansfield who you did the twenty twenty one season with also were um and you know known that you had won that you'd had a good year on that but that was where there were a number of guys that went, they're they're doing what? And you fished all nine opens in twenty twenty one and you fished the inaugural season of the NPFL which was six events plus the nine opens Fifteen weeks on the road, just for the tournament fishing weeks, camped, and were on the road for over thirty weeks out of the fifty-two weeks of the year in twenty
2: twenty-one. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a wild year, man. I loved every second of it. Um, yeah, it was busy. I mean, we just uh, we decided to jump all in, and you know, I had a I had a title sponsor that year, which there's no way I would have been able to do it uh, without that title sponsor and you know i hadn't had my entry fees covered and uh you know everything i was i was fishing free you know on the water not having to worry about much except just going to going to catch a bass and uh and had a good year overall i mean i uh you know i just we were on the road we were just it seemed like we were going from tournament to tournament to tournament you know as we pack up from one tournament and we're on the road to the next one we start practice the next day and uh we just kept kept going and got in the flow of things and uh, really enjoyed it. I mean, there was there was really not a whole lot of downtime um, between a, between the tournaments.
0: Going into that, did you know how ridiculous that schedule was? How much you would be gone? Was there any apprehension of that, or was that what you had been working for the whole time since that FLW interview where you said, "Hey, I think this allows me to to make a run at this full time now."
2: Yeah. I mean, we, we put it in a lot of preparation uh, for it, you know, when, when we decided that we were going to fish, you know, all nine opens and the MPFL, you know, we, before the year started, we had all the logistics completely set. We knew exactly what campgrounds we were saying at. you know, when, when we were going to be traveling from place to place, I mean, everything was a hundred percent set uh, before we started the year. So that, you know, that that's really, I look at that as kind of half of, half of the business is, is the logistics and traveling and doing all that. And the other half is obviously, mm-hmm. being out in the water fishing and catching the bass. But, um, so having all that completely set knowing where we were, where we had to go, when we had to pack up I and mean, everything was on, on the schedule and it, it really made life easy, um, being able to do it. I mean, obviously there was, there was things, you know, that you can't control, you know, maintenance things that, that holds you up here and there or whatever else. But, you know, overall it was, uh, it was a pretty smooth year for how many, and-
0: and we fish. yeah and you rolled with greg mansfield and it was called the sickness outdoors and you guys both filmed it and it was every single tournament was documented put out on youtube and then greg camped and then you camped next to him and you did you do the you do the truck camper deal
2: yep i have a lance truck bed camper
0: yeah uh and that was a crazy year so that was when i got to know you guys a little bit better because you were literally traveling gypsies yeah. Between the NPFL and the Opens. You went 16th overall in the Opens. You were 11th in the Central Division. But then on the NPFL, you cashed a check in all six events. You had a top 10, and you did roughly 80K, 70, uh, 80 seventy, dollars or $77,000 in earnings by the end of the year. Those were, what, five? I've done some numbers here because I wanted to see like how this worked. You're cool with this? Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm
2: here to hear them, too.
0: So, 70... Uh, sixty-seven, seven. So seventy-seven k. Basically, you uh seventy-seven k at thirty thousand dollars in entry fees for the MPFLs, right? Five five k, sixteen two for all nine opens in the twenty twenty-one overall. So you're at forty-six two. Uh, in your entry fees, you're at uh. 85k, you're basically did 40,000 above your entry fees. Then, if you do the 30 weeks of travel, you're basically at a thousand dollars a week, uh, a little over a thousand dollars a week in expenses. So, that would have been if you had had zero sponsorship whatsoever. This is what blew my mind when I did these numbers. You'd have broken even with a <laughs> with zero sponsorship. hmm That's yeah. nuts to yeah. me. That's a that's a almost a hundred grand
2: in yeah. a year. And that's just I mean, that's obviously just covering the fishing expenses. You know, that's not not covering all the other expenses. You know, obviously you got bills and and uh, you know, maintenance stuff. I mean, you're running that hard across the country and putting on thousands and thousands of miles, you know, you're gonna have stuff that breaks down. So you got you know, camper maintenance and boat maintenance and truck maintenance and, you know, all that um, on top of, you know, other other bills and, and stuff. Um, you know, it's just. Uh, it's, it's. It's, you know, it's just one of those things where it's just it's tough to even even having a really good year. And, and I was proud of the, the year ahead. And I mean, it's it was it's hard to make money. It's hard to make money doing it, to be to be brutally honest.
0: Did it fly by or did it seem like a grind 21 looking back on it now?
2: It flew by, man. We were, we were just on the go. And I look back, I'm like, it was almost kind of a blur, honestly. And I actually fished, I fished more tournaments than than just the ones that you talk. I fished, uh, right when I got down to Florida in the beginning of the year, I jumped in a BFL on Harris chain before the open. And I think we fished a couple tournaments on table rock, um, Mm -hmm. like a couple like anglers and action tournaments when we were down in the area. And you know, we were just man, you know, we were just ate up with it. We were just fishing. We just were staying on the water and doing everything we could to uh to just stay on the water and, and keep fishing. It was it was an awesome year.
0: Could you incre- like could you tell you were becoming a better angler over the course of that year?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just spending that much time on the water, just really really you know, being in the boat by myself that long, just kind of finding myself, finding my groove you know, understanding what decisions I need to make, you know, in, in certain situations. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I learned, I learned so much, um, that year just, just, uh, figuring, figuring out these bodies of water. And, you know, a lot of those bodies of water the MPFL I'd never been to mm-hmm. and never went and pre-practiced them. You know, we got three days of practice and in, in the tournament and, uh, just, uh, a lot of confidence that i could go out and find fish and in confidence in in the pattern that i kind of kind of picked before i went to the went to the lake and just kind of ran with it and it, it worked out
0: yeah this is the most probably the most diverse schedule ever so 2021 harris chain douglas and tennessee pickwick virginia james river tidal fishery oneida thousand islands Lake Norman spotted bass, Lewis Smith spotted bass, Ozarks, Grand Lake, no grass, and then you fall in Alabama, uh, Wright-Patman in Texas, which is like a total unknown, Mm -hmm. Harris-Chain in Florida, you had Pickwick again, Lake Winnebago up in Wisconsin, which I'm assuming you had some familiarity with being Mm -hmm. from where you're from?
2: Never. Never fished it. It kind of sucked, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was that's actually one we had a we had like a three-week break and i actually was on my way home and stopped in there for a few days and and did pre-practice that one and um nothing that i, that I found a pre-practice or thought I was going to work in pre-practice I actually worked in the tournament that much but um that was one that i did pre-practice just because i felt pressure you know being from wisconsin originally and and going to wisconsin to the lake i just I felt a little bit more pressure for whatever reason i knew my whole family and I was going to have a bunch of friends there. I'm like, you know, I better catch them here. So, um, yeah, that was, it was a tough tournament. I mean, I think that it's a good body of water. It's just that time of year was was tough.
0: Were you able to find that there were like certain themes that when you're, uh, when you're fishing that much across the country and traveling to different species and different bodies of water, natural lakes and tidal fisheries and Florida and Ozarks and East coast and thousand islands are there certain things that like just always work that you realize like dude if as long as i can do this i'm good at this i can find fish like certain patterns that you realize that you wouldn't have ever been able to put together without that much back-to-back time on the water
2: yeah i mean i you know it was one of those things where between tournaments i didn't have a whole lot of time to to re-rig and you know completely change out all my rods and reels so i i mean there was there were certain baits that i used at every single tournament throughout the year and caught fish on them and probably weighed fishing on them. I mean, obviously one, one being a drop shot, I, I love uh, finesse fishing and if I ever need a bite, I can pick up a, a spinning rod and, and go catch fish. I feel like, but you know, that was, that was obviously one that is, you know, you, you find the baits that work for you that you have confidence in that you can catch fish all over the country, no matter where you go. And, and, uh, you know, I just kind of stuck to my guns doing that a lot and, you know, just picked up confidence baits and, uh, and everywhere we went, I was I was able to catch fish.
0: What percent do you think were on a spinning rod? Because I did, I was like 89% of my fish in 21 in the nine opens were caught on a spinning rod, 40% on a drop shot, like 15% on a net and like 12% on a wacky worm. Like I did all that because I'm a psychopath. Uh, <laughs> did you, what, what were your numbers? Would you say? Because I remember that every time, every time I watched your videos or saw it, it seemed like very familiar stuff or ran into you on the water. You always seem to be an egg beater guy too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably, I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe 75% of the fish I weighed in that year came on a, come on a spinning rod. So that's a lot. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, those new bodies of water, I just wanted to, in practice, you know, I, I, I love just idling around and graphing and just figuring out, you know, where I can get a few bites and, you know picking up a spinning rod like that i feel like if there's a fish or a few fish there that i can easily get a bite on it uh quick and just to try to clue me in how i can get a few bites and then run with it during the tournament you know figure it out during the tournament um uh, but just uh you know just just being able to get a bite or two and just get, get a confidence in a pattern to to get practice going or you know to have somewhere to go come tournament time to, to really put the pieces of the puzzle together when it matters um, is a reason I really kept uh spinning rod in my hand and just, just confidence.
0: You typically start on a certain section of the lake when you dump the boat in on one of these new bodies of water. I know you had some marathon practice sessions. You had some other practice sessions where you only had a day and a half, two days, because you're going from an open to an MPFL or vice versa. You had some weeks off where you were like, Hey, I've got up eight days to practice for this upcoming open like when you dump the boat in the water to start graphing, are you picking a, do you typically start in a certain section of the pond?
2: Yeah, it kind of depends. I mean, you know, the, the research that I do, you know, I wasn't, I did do some research, um, you know, prior to the year and and made a a notebook with a bunch of notes, you know, kind of just the areas where, where they've been uh, caught in the past, where guys have caught them, where tournaments have been won in the past. And, and what I'd always do, what worked for me is that, you know, maybe I'd go check those areas right away in practice and just uh, see if I can't get a few bites just to get my confidence up that I can go catch a few fish if I need to. And then from there, I'd start branching out and trying to duplicate if that that kind of structure or pattern or I would uh, just completely switch it up and just go to try to find some off the wall stuff. And, um, you know, just uh, that's what works best for me is knowing in the back of my head that I have a couple areas that I can go get a few bites in if I need to, but now I'm going to spend the rest of my practice just trying to find something off the wall or find, you know, areas that maybe aren't getting hit by a lot of boats or just are uh, not out there on the internet that say, Hey, this tournament's been won here.
0: Yeah. So over the course of this pattern, like you've, you've had a lot of really solid, like check cash finishes and a couple top tens, but no real contention for the wins from the front of the boat. Fair? Yeah. Did you have have you gone? Did you or have you gone through like an identity crisis? Like, I need to change things up. I need to power fish more. I need to take more risks, more gambles, anything of that. Or are you completely comfortable with this style, knowing that you're trying to attain the next step and that you're willing to sacrifice that win? Or do you think that the, all this stuff can be won with the egg beater?
2: No, I mean, I think it's, you know, obviously every lake is different. I mean, like this year is a good example of that. I, uh, I started out the year um, obviously fishing for, fishing for points. You know, I just wanted to make sure that I could not have a bomb. And I did mm-hmm. that throughout the first four tournaments and, and uh, the first half of the year was great. You know, everything was going good. I, I think I cashed a few checks and took a top 10 at Cherokee and things are, things are rolling and, and then the second half of the season, I uh, the the wheels kind of fell off, man. I I was still trying to, you know, I, I was kind of thinking back. It's I kind of felt like I had double the pressure on me. I mean, it probably sounds like a, an excuse, and it is, but it's you know between trying to fish for the points and then also trying to make sure that I uh, I could get a paycheck or you know get paid this tournament is you know I, I felt like I was fishing a little bit. Scared more or less, and then at the end of the year, um, the last couple of tournaments, I uh, Raven especially, I knew that I was out of it, and I just, I just went for the win. I, I did what I thought I had to do. I mean, I practice led me kind of down the wrong path. Caught some big ones in practice, and and just really, really went for the win there, where I thought I could might get five bites, and they could all be seven or eight pounders. So, um, it, it really depends on you know, in the beginning of the year, I always. I always started off fishing for points. No doubt.
0: After 2021 though, you, uh, no, no MPFL in 2022. I mean, you kind of scaled it back and just went back to the opens. Is that just a financial deal?
2: It was. Yeah. Like I said, I had, I had a title sponsor in 2021 and then 2022, I, uh, you know, the, the company that I had and my title sponsor through switched hands and a bunch of things, uh, happened, um, that were out of my control. Mm-hmm. And, so I did did end up having a title sponsor uh, for 2022, uh, which is why on my rig right now you see uh, my logo, Joel Willard, Fishing, on the side of my boat. Cause I'm my own title sponsor for I was my own title sponsor for this year. Um, so yeah, that was that was uh, just a financial thing, more or less.
0: Okay, so I I sign up this year, and then obviously we call each other we're going to take a break and then we're going to get into this we too and you're like, "Yeah, dude. I'm not signed up for the not in not signed up yet for the 2023 opens." I was like, "What? Huh? Like, dude, you've like almost made it. You finished 16th overall this year out of 88 guys that started it. You were 16th last year. Uh, you know, you're presently in the top 40 in every single division that you fished. I know you were just coming off of a an epic 2021 year." You're one of the handful of guys that, you know, when they talk about it, it'll be like, oh, you know, it's just a matter of time. Like Joel, he's just, he'll, he'll make, you know, there's a number of those guys that are in the opens that I don't think people realize that are super talented, super dedicated, and it's just the timing has to be right for them. Would you agree? Yeah, no. But I, uh, I, I thought it was interesting that you're not signed up for 2023, and it never even crossed my mind that you wouldn't. So we're going to take our first break of the day. When we come back, I want to dive into that. I want to dive into the decision-making uh, that went behind that and then what your plans are for 2023. Uh, and, yeah, we'll go from there and see where that takes us. So BTL on a Tuesday, November 29th. Holy cow, we're getting close to Christmas. December, once December hits, it's just a chaos by the end. BTL on a Tuesday, Minnesota's Joel Willard will be back right after this.
1: Your key to better fishing this season is Elite FS. Now available at a new lower price. Get Elite FS 9 today for $9.99 and we'll throw in a CMAP reveal chart. Our premium mapping solution for free. Elite FS works with all state-of-the-art Loran sonar from chirp, side-scan, and down-scan imaging with fish reveal to high-resolution active target live sonar. Elite FS9 and CMAP Reveal. Offer ends August 31st.
3: The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name.
1: Hey guys, Gerald Swindle, representing the AFCO Hydronaut. This is the jacket I love wearing when times is tough, and I'm talking about the weather, not the fishing. The jacket, what I like, I got a double cup right here. I can seal up the bottom of my jacket, because when you're fishing, you're holding your arms up. You're bad about getting water that runs downhill. Everything bends good. I'm long arm. Look, it fits very comfortable. My arms are flexible. I've got the speed hood on, pouring down rain. I can get everything zipped up. One thing they did is they made plenty of pocket space. If you ain't got enough pockets in a Hydronaut rain suit, you just got too much stuff from the water, brain that's 30k baby 30 times the reason you ain't gonna get wet super warm if it's cold in the wintertime, you put on your hydronaut you're gonna be a much more comfortable person if you don't want just look sexy at dairy queen wear your hydronaut we got it from small to 5x most rain gear does not come in that many sizes you got waist adjusting strap we can make it fit you no matter what the environment is we want you to be comfortable we want you to be dry you gotta check it out they ain't gonna let you down
3: the kvd 100 jerkbait 15 different colors. A perfect combination of roll, wiggle, and flash. Increased castability. 3D eyes. Premium black nickel hooks. KVD. Tie one on. Striking lures.
1: Elite Series Pro Daryl Gleason here. My Pro Guide Batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice. Never fail. The best part about Pro Guide Batteries... It's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polnick here. And ever since I won a couple Bassmaster Elite Series events on X-Zone Lures, I've been getting a bunch of questions of what makes them so special and different
0: And really, the truth is, it's in the details. The little details, things like no cheap fillers in their plastic, that gives you more lifelike action, more realistic and vibrant colors. But don't just take my word for it. Go to www.excellentlures.com and check them out for yourself.
3: Are you looking to install your own fishing electronics? Well, the Bass Tank is here to help you. The solution is the Bass Tank Power Harness. It takes the guesswork out of installation. No more voltage issues or interference. Designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage. Installation done right with the help of the Fast Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The Fast Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thefasttank.com.
0: Uh welcome back BTL with uh Joel Willard. <clears throat> I was trying to do some troubleshooting during it. So I've noticed at some point during the show I have one spot that I that like is running on my end, but then it doesn't run on the actual show, so it's just silent. So it's just us sitting there for like 28 seconds not realizing that it's done it like the last three shows, but I can't figure out can't figure out which ad it is, Joel. Hmm. It's some major podcasting issues on this end we'll we'll figure it out in the second commercial break though I promise because it went flawlessly in the first part (laughs) Uh, so that whole first segment Joel was to set the stage to let people know talented angler doesn't come into this with seven figures backing you military veteran living your dream out putting in the time earning your spot from the front of the boat through wins from the back of the boat, using that funding to progress yourself each year, stepping outside of your comfort zone, expanding your tournaments, finishing in the top five in the angler of the year, making almost $100,000 a year, building your sponsorship game, and all this in a five, six-year period, which is highly impressive. So there's, it's not like, hey, I tried it and I suck at it, and now i have to go back to the real world like this is a career plan this is something you've been building so when i found out when you were like yeah man i i i i'm i'm going to build some other stuff and work on it and i i'm not sure if i'm going to be able to get in fish the opens in 2023 it shocked me dude cuz i assumed you were like there for the next 10 years
2: yeah i mean it was it was definitely not an easy decision you know it's uh i you know had to had to make a decision either either go fish them or or take a take a year off and try to try to figure something else out uh, get more financially stable to make sure that when I'm on the water I'm not not worrying about you know what's going to happen if I if I don't catch a limit that day or if I don't get a check that tournament um, you know I've always I've always kind of been one of them guys that just uh, you know I, I play my cards conservative if you will um, mm-hmm. you know I, I don't I've never really been in debt in my life and I don't want to go into debt trying to, at this point in my life right now, trying to, trying to chase this, you know, I, I just, uh, the, the way of, the way I've always been is, is, uh, if I have the money in the backing to go do it, I absolutely will. And, and we'll do everything I can to, to make the dream possible. But, um, you know, I sat down long and hard and, uh, thought about it for a lot of t- long time and talked to a lot of my buddies and, and, uh, you know, I just made the decision to not sign up. Um, you know, I had the priority entry finishing in the top 20 or 25 in points this year to get in. And uh, that day came and it was a tough day, man. I mean, it's uh, if, you know, I, I lost some sleep over it, no doubt.
0: That's terrifying to guys like me and probably any of the other guys in the open is listening. It Because, like I said, it's not like you sucked. You did $19,413. In the opens, you covered your entry fees here, but I'm trying to to think. So Bass obviously wants to, or any of the tournament organization. I'm just using Bass. This is what we fish for. This is they've made the change to the nine. I hope this comes out as a coherent thought, but they're trying to better prepare, and and rightfully so. I think they listened to a lot of the anglers that were fishing it and fishing all nine. Better prepare anglers. For when they get to the Elite Series from a a competition, a travel, a coast-to-coast, a different fisheries level, to be able to go through the gauntlet and say, hey, these guys come ready to compete. There's a handful of freak shows, Shakur, it's politics, all those guys, Jordan Lees, they were just born ready to do that. But for us mere mortals, you have some seasoning that goes into that, right, that allows gives you a better chance to succeed. I can go through the list and name you 30 guys that are incredibly talented anglers that you've never heard of because they were on the Elite Series and then they were gone. Wrecked them in their 20s, early 20s. Uh, But it's also scary because what do you do for the guy who has been on the verge, who's right there, who obviously is talented, is cashing the checks you know, like a guy at your position, like there has to be a level at that triple A level or some way to make it work without being financially, well, independently financially wealthy, having a crazy uh, non-endemic backing or winning a tournament, which is very difficult to do like those are the the three ways that the opens work. Would you not agree?
2: Absolutely. Yep. I mean, that's, there's no, no way around it. I mean, that's, that's it. Um, Yeah. You either, you either need to have the sponsor backing or have a bunch of money put away that you can go blow to, to travel around and fish or just go catch them. I mean, it's, you know, as, as much as I do, it's incredibly hard to, to make money in the opens. I mean, at the, I think they're moving to what, two hundred and fifty this year. At, at a two hundred and twenty-five yeah. ball field, to even yeah. get a paycheck to cover your entry fee and a little bit of your travel costs. I mean, you're beating eighty-two to eighty-three percent of the field just to just to get that paycheck. And I mean, that's incredibly hard against these. You know, how many talented anglers are out there trying to do this?
0: So how do you keep the Joel Willerts in it and the other? 40 guys you can name a handful right now too can't you that are in the exact same position that you're in that have caught them that have been on the verge of qualifying that are very talented anglers that have endemic sponsorships but like i said that endemic pie is so is small so they have to figure out elite series bpt toyota's invitationals social media guys Podcasts, websites, like there's a certain number of pie uh, of pie in there, and and the the sponsorship deals, unless you have some weird deal that you can show your your value to extrapolate that to a massive market, isn't enough to survive on the opens for a year with thirty five thousand dollars of expenses to go for all nine events. Is there a fix? Is there a way to do this to where you can keep the talented and competitive anglers? in the field and keep their head above water and keep them out of debt to where they can become an asset to the organization in three or four years and they're not put in situations where they have to make the decision of you know house payments debt credit card debt or fishing
2: i mean i wish i had that answer i'm i'm the one that you're talking about i mean you know it's it's uh i I guess i don't i don't really have an answer for it i mean I, i wish i did i mean me personally, I, uh, you know, I was, you know, I, I do have some paying sponsors and I'm very grateful for them. And, um, you know, I just, I don't have all of my costs covered, um, to justify being able to fish full time and then, you know, be able to, to cover all my other expenses outside of the fishing. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where maybe I should have, you know, went after sponsors harder, uh, the last few years. Um, you know, obviously last year I had my title sponsor and and, uh, and I was set for the year, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where in the back of my head, personally, I was always like, yeah, I should go after sponsors, but at the same time I should just go out on the water and just go catch them. And, but
0: you're buttoned up too. I mean, you're professional. You've got the social media side. You have sponsors. Like, it's not like you're just going out and be like, Oh, if a sponsor comes to me, a sponsor comes to you. Like I said, you're the top echelon guy there.
2: Yeah. And I definitely, I definitely have sponsors and I got some paying sponsors, you know, not all of my sponsors are paying sponsors, but Um, you know, and, and I'm very grateful for them, but with, with the amount of sponsors that I have right now, I mean, I just, I don't have the sponsor dollars coming in to cover all of my expenses between my travel expenses, my entry fees and everything else that comes with it, where, you know, where I'm able to, without having another income coming in at all to cover all the expenses outside of the fishing, you know, it's, that's, that's where the, uh, where it comes down to. You know, I'm I'm gonna be I'm ga- if I do decide to do it, am I gonna put myself into credit card debt and, um, you know, and and just gamble that I can go out there and have a great year? Because and that that's not that's not what I want to do. I don't want to go out there and gamble and not have a good year and put myself in a hole. Um, but it, it could go the other way. You know, I I don't want to make this sound like I'm I'm coming on here to to you know, cry the blues away or whatever, but no,
0: no, no. I've came on cool. and said, dude, are you willing to talk about this? And you're like, yeah, it's going to suck. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not trying to, to show it like that. I want it to show the reality of it. Yeah. I hope yeah. that's how you're not, hasn't come across like that at all. Joel. Yeah.
2: Okay. Good. You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for, for what I've been able to do the past few years. And, uh, you know, bottom line is I, I didn't sign up for the opens for next year and, um, I'm, I'm definitely not going to, not fish next year, I'm, I'm going to just kind of step back. I'll probably fish some local regional stuff and I might jump into into what I can, um, you know, maybe if there's a division uh, opens that I decide to jump into if, if it works out um, and just go out there, I guess, try to win one and make the classic or whatever. Um, I'm really going to focus on my guiding business. I've been doing some uh, guiding up on Lake Mille Lacs and got a really good buddy, Josh Douglas. He guides up there. And, um, you know, he's been helping me out the past few years, giving me some clients and that kind of stuff. So I'm going to try to really build up my clientele, uh, spend a lot of time in the water doing some guiding and fishing local tournaments. You know, I'm going to try to jump into the Champions Tour up here in Minnesota, maybe the Minnesota Bass Nation Team Trail, uh, maybe some BFLs. Just just uh, stay busy and, and keep fishing. And, um, you know, by no means am I. Saying that this is the end, you know, I'm not going to come back to the Bassmaster Opens, but you know, financially and everything else, right now, I just felt like this is what I needed to do uh, for for next year. Um, just you know, step away for the year as of now, and uh, just make sure that that I'm not putting myself into a hole, and I can, you know, look look forward to the the following mm-hmm. years yeah. to come. College, thirty nine. Yeah, we're
0: basically the same age, thirty eight. All right, a couple thoughts that come across here. This is the only, I don't I don't call it a sport, I call it a competitive activity, but this is the only competitive activity that you can reach a level where you become financially secure based on achievements, where the closer you get to the top, the more risk you incur. Think about that. You make it to AAA ball, you make it to the AHL, you make it to the web.com or the hooters do you make it to anything else like right below the very top you're on either two-way contracts or the prize money because because you've proven yourself to be valuable and you've gotten through the mud right fishing is so bizarre because the closer you get to it the more it costs the more risk it occurs and the closer you are to falling off the edge either way it's crazy crazy to think about it like that it is no doubt so here's, here's the next thing. I've made a weird living in this industry, Joel. You know, I'm pretty much a jack-of-all-trades inside of it. Didn't start fishing at that triple-A level until 2018, 2019. Did, did the Bass Nation Club, Bass Nation Regional, BFL, the whole thing. I fished it all. Uh, but the one thing that I have noticed, if you... If you talk listen to any people who are successful in building the Gary V's, anything like that, they talk about finding something that you have a passion for, that you grind for, that you have hard work for, that you can develop a skill set, and that and that uh knowledge and relationships will always trump cash. Which it's easy to say that on Instagram. And when you're watching that without cash, you're like eh. I don't know i'd kind of like the cash right now you know what i'm saying (laughs) but in the long run in in an industry that is a multi-million dollar industry it is very small i mean you go we go everywhere and you you pretty much know everybody Mm -hmm. who has it inside dude there is a need for people like you and and me like i've made my living in the fishing industry i'm just a kid from illinois that interned with a website with a Angry 6'4 redheaded dude who was mad at the world and was going to prove that he could have a second career in the bass fishing industry, right? So I kind of mm-hmm. got lucky in that and then worked and said it. But to me, it blows my mind. You you know, you talk to a couple of these other guys that are out there, you have all of the assets that endemic companies in the industry need to position their product, to sell their product for marketing, for support, for all of this stuff. And it's sitting right there. And to them, like entry fees, sponsorship, uh, health, medical, it benefit, all that stuff that to them they take for granted would be gold for you. And it's a total symbiotic win-win relationship. And I don't know why more endemic companies in the industry aren't utilizing Joel Willard as a a consultant, as a independent contractor to saying, hey, You want to do this to the next level. Here's what we need. We need someone in the industry who knows how to do this instead of hiring people who have no idea and going in 18 million different directions. You have built that value within yourself to be valuable to numerous different companies. And I think that's a missed opportunity by a lot of endemic companies that could go, dude, I could help him and he could help us. And there's like 15 or 20 guys out there right now that, should be able to freelance and add immense value to companies while still chasing their dream of professional bass fishing at the highest level. My rant's over.
2: It's a good rant. No, I I completely agree and I appreciate you saying that but yeah, I mean that would that would be awesome if you could if you could fish and and work within the industry and travel and you know do do stuff for you know your partners and everything else while you're while you're on the road and around the industry your your entire year, you know? I mean it's it's kind of a no-brainer. It's uh that'd be uh, that'd be a really cool really cool deal.
0: There's a wasp on the floor. Oh no that's a cricket. Never mind. What's your if you're an industry company listening, what's your best contact info?
2: Shoot you a DM?
0: Yeah DM that's
2: fine. I uh I got a website, just joelwillardfishing.com. Um, I know it's fancy you know. too. I was on it this morning. I
0: was like, dang, that thing is fancy. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, that's probably the easiest email or you can shoot me DM, uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook. Just Am I off
0: base on that? Am I not looking at that realistically?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's a great idea. I guess I'm, I haven't thought about it like like that, but it makes sense. I mean, it makes complete sense to me. I mean, if uh, you're trying to sell fishing products um, to get somebody that that is around the around the fishing industry 24-7 throughout the year. I mean, and has good contacts, knows everybody, gets along with everybody. I mean, shoot, that's kind of a no-brainer.
0: I think if there's one thing we've learned over the past three or four years, it's that uh, The, and Matt Heron actually talked about this really well in uh, The Build, Zaldane's new podcast. Trayton Zaldane's has a new podcast, and I was driving home for Thanksgiving, and uh, Matt will call every five or six months and it's usually an awesome rant and i was like holy cow an hour and 40 minutes of matt heron ranting i'm in so i fired (laughs) it up and he had some really good points and he's been with a lot of sponsors in the industry for a long time about the industry feeds the industry right so you know what you are who you're trying to sell to that's such value yeah yeah because you know what resonates with you.
2: Right. Yeah, that's a good so. point. I guess, I i mean, honestly, I haven't thought about it all that, that way, but it makes, that makes sense to me.
0: Here's the other thing that I struggle with, and let me see if you struggle with it too. You have Polinick on, or I do. Everyone does. He has his own channel. Carl, even uh, Josh Douglas or Daryl Glee, guys who grinded for 10 years. And they come on and they're like, "Do you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to make it?" And you talk about Carl with the green card and in debt and coming over and Polinick and yeah, yeah. I, I had Timmy Horton going, "Man, you have to ask to physically hurt when you're not catching a bass." And you know, you leave those interviews going, "Yeah, I'm I'm willing to go in debt. I'm willing to sell it all. I'm willing to risk it on the farm. I'm willing to do illegal things at truck stops to get to the next turn." You know, you leave yeah. <laughs> you leave there feeling like you're on top of the world, and then reality hits, and then someone, like realistically, like, you're on, right? You're going, dude, I have a whole life. I'm not willing to wreck this entire life to chase this dream, and I get stuck, and I think a lot of it... I know for a fact, because I have these conversations. I've been having these conversations for the last month with a lot of guys, whether they're invitational guys that are trying to justify entry fees over there for limited payback, whether it's open guys who are signed up with the payback not. and you're like, where do you draw the line between uh, chasing the dream and being risky and doing something that 95% of the population isn't willing to do to still have your name in the pot. And where do you be like, this is dumb. I'm not wrecking my life for
2: something that's foolish because I'm not in the position.
0: Do you struggle with that too? Or is that just me? Yeah. I mean, I,
2: I think I've, you know, I feel like I've, I've given up a lot of of stuff to get to where I'm at right now. I mean, I, I owned a house, uh, that I sold my house in 2018. Um, and knowing, you know, when I knew I was going to go to, uh, go to the FLW, FLW two or a time in 2019, I sold my house and I ended up moving in, renting a, uh, town home, um, just so I didn't have to, you know, worry about my house back home when I was on the road and, you know, you know, maintenance and all that stuff. So I ended up renting a, uh, renting a town home, got rid of my house and, um, you know, and then I now I'm, I'm renting a rented a place from a buddy and keeping keeping a bunch of my stuff in his unfinished basement down there. And, uh, you know, now I'm I'm uh, I don't own a home anymore. I, I kind of gave that up. And now I got stuff spread out all over my boats, actually down in Kansas right now in storage. I got my truck and my camper at another place over in Minnesota in storage. I got, uh, I got a bunch of my bunch of my stuff and my girlfriends in Minneapolis. Like I got you know, I kind of got stuff spread out all over. I don't really have necessarily a complete home base right now. So that's really, you know, another factor of, you know, of not fishing in the opens next year is just trying to get all that stuff back in the line, you know, making sure that I have a, um, a place, you know, a stable place where I can get all of my stuff back into the, the one area and, and, uh, just get more, more financially stable. Um, you know, so I can really hit it hard for the years to come.
0: So you have a legit website. The guiding thing has to be kind of cool though, especially with Josh Douglas. I mean, that dude seems like he's got it absolutely dialed in up there in Minnesota.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, he does. He does really good up there. He's understands Lake lives, lives right on the lakes there. And uh, yeah, it's a great lake. I mean, I've spent a ton of time up there. I've I've done a lot of guide trips up there and uh, um, you know, fish tournaments with Josh up there. I mean, I understand no lake really well. I mean, there's, there's always stuff, new stuff that I'm finding out there, but yeah, it's a, it's a great lake for, for guiding. Um, You know, we get a lot of, a lot of clients from down in Texas or, you know, from places where, you know, smallmouth aren't predominant and they come up there and you can get them on some four and five pounds smallmouth, man. It's uh, I have way more fun watching them catch them than, uh, than than catching them, you know, myself, you know, I, I just, I get a kick out of it. I just love it. I, I really enjoy doing it. It's very, it's very, uh, you know, rewarding to to go out there and watch these people catch these fish. And it's uh, it's a blast, man. I love, I love doing it.
0: That's good stuff. I want to have one more segment. You good for one more segment? I'm good, man. Uh, I want to take the experience that you've had over the last five years, combine it with my open experience, and I want us to come back and build the perfect Bassmaster open angler to qualify for the Elite Series. Perfect. Sound like a fun challenge? that's fine alright maybe we'll also find out which ad isn't running it's BTL on a Tuesday with Joel Willard we'll be back right after this have you considered purchasing new electronics for your rig? the type of mounts you choose to protect your investment should be part of the decision making process no matter if you prefer one two or three graphs up front Beatdown Outdoors has a solution for you adjustable versatile rigid and made in the USA. What's your ultimate electronic setup? Check out the full selection of Beatdown Outdoors products by visiting beatdownoutdoors.com.
4: The new Android series is the peak of the Denali lineup and offers the ultimate Denali experience. The Android series features 36-ton multidirectional graphite combined with interlock blank technology for added strength. Each rod is outfitted with royal titanium guides that will not fail. The blank is fitted into an easy touch, soft feel EVA foam grip with exposed blank reel seat. This all allows the Android to transmit every movement of your bait and even the most subtle bites. The Android series is the finest rod Denali has ever made and offers an angler the ultimate fishing experience with a limited lifetime warranty. See the full lineup of Android rods at DenaliRods.com. Vibrating jigs are a great choice for any time of year and the Kamikaze Swim-On is a perfect match for any vibrating jig. Two sizes and the unique tail design gives it a bait fish profile and a great swimming action for realism. There are 17 colors, see them all at BigBiteBaits.com. The Spro Little John Crankbait has been around for almost 15 years and it is one of my go-to crankbaits whenever I need a fish in the boat. So you can never have enough new colors That's why Spro's coming out with a handful of new colors, including Pearl Shad, which has this bleached out white look, but it's got this pearlescent, really, really pretty. We've got Copper Shad, which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back, really, really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got Sparkle Shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got. The Matte Sexy Shad, just a really different looking color for a crankbait. So you want to give them a little different look, that Matte Sexy Shad is definitely the one to go with. All these colors are available in the original Little John and the MD.
3: Combining one of the most popular hook styles with Gamakatsu's beefier Superline offering, the Gamakatsu Superline Offset Round Bend delivers the strength necessary to target big fish in heavy cover. Well-suited for braided line and heavier fluorocarbon, the Gamakatsu Superline Offset Round Bend is built using stronger Superline wire that allows anglers to easily fish a finesse worm around heavy cover. The Round band offers a larger bite area perfect for any worm presentation while increasing your hookup ratios. The newly enhanced Z-Band holds your plastics on the hook longer, reducing the number of pull-offs and reducing damage to plastics. Available in 2-0, 3-0, 4-0 and 5-0, this is the most durable worm hook designed for heavier lines that hold your bait on longer. Preparation is key to success, and that preparation starts well before you ever hit the water you're only as strong as your connection to the fish, and your line is that critical connection. Confidence in your line every minute of every day on the water is a necessity, and failure, it's not an option. Sunline makes the fluorocarbon, nylon, and braided lines to give you the strength to guarantee your confidence.
0: We're back. Everything worked flawlessly, so there's a ghost in the machine. Good deal. Yeah, yeah. That's weird. Uh, I think that's got to be, like, I'm looking at the comments here on the instant feedback. Bass Master open winner, Keith Tuma, is on the instant feedback there. I've been told by multiple people up north that when he, if he gets rolling, it's game over.
1: Yeah,
2: I don't, you know, honestly, I don't know Keith that well. I know that he can catch bass, no doubt about it, but yeah. I... Uh... Yeah, I guess I don't know him, know him personally very well. I,
0: that conversation you just said, you know what takes care of itself? If you go out like Keith did and just pop the first open you ever fish in Florida and just pocket $52,300.
2: It's pretty awesome.
0: Winning takes care of a lot too, doesn't it, Joel? Um,
2: yeah, it definitely does. It's a, it's a good thing to happen.
0: But you have to have people who don't win in order to have a winner. I'm not looking at that as a loser's mentality. I'm just saying in order for a win to be meaningful, what do you have to have talented people who don't win? That's what makes wins important. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Like if it was just the Minnesota wild and no other teams in the NHL, the Stanley cup celebration wouldn't be nearly as much as it would be after they go through four rounds of the playoffs. Makes it that much more special for sure. Yeah. It's because there's thirty losers. All right, the perfect Bassmaster Open angler. You're able to build a a cyborg angler to roll through the Bassmaster Opens. Let's think of some characteristics, some five things that they that they have to possess in order to be. Let's do let's do realistic, right? Like maybe attainable. That if guys are wanting to, or guys who are fishing the opens, want to possibly be able to work on or work towards things that you have noticed over your 30 plus opens and time in the back of the boat and invitational and NPFL time that seems to be a thread that all, all of the good ones and that you have kick it off. I'll put the pressure on you.
2: Um, I think, I mean, number one for me would be just having the right equipment, you know, to to do the job, whether that be, you know, the right boat, the right electronics, you know, just the right equipment to so you're not held up and and uh, you know, making sure that you everything's going to start up and and allow you to do what you need to do on the water. All
0: right, so I guess the first the first overall arching that would have to deal with all this then is financial security,
2: financial security, it's a big one.
0: Can you catch them? You can. I know you can catch them stressed out, not financially secure, but in the long run, that takes out a variable that sinks 95% of the guys who have the talent to do it. Fair yeah. assessment?
2: Fair assessment.
0: All right. So, equipment two, like, okay, I'll go. I think you have to have the drive, you can't go through the motions. Right. It has to be something that you really, really want. And when you're on the water by yourself for that long of amount of time and that away from home with that many logistics, you learn really quick. If it's someplace you really, honestly want to be,
2: that's yeah, yeah. If you don't, have, if you don't have a drive, you don't want to really be out there. There's you're not going to succeed. There's no doubt.
0: You know who I saw had the drive this year. Well, I mean, everyone who makes it for the most part has the drive but coop dude that dude was always on fire for it this year every time i saw him and also uh john soka Mm -hmm. not saying that brad didn't or anything but there's like the certain different level of people are trying to
2: take what's mine (laughs) you know what i mean i i definitely saw that you know I, i wasn't around john a whole lot this year but i definitely saw that in coop we uh we traveled together a little bit and uh i mean he he's unbelievable obviously on the water but he does whatever he needs to do to, to i mean he he roughs it a lot of times i mean he was i think we were at chesapeake bay and he uh came to the campground i was at and he's like oh, i'm just gonna sleep in the front of my truck and i was like dude it's you're not gonna sleep in the front of your, front seat of your truck i'm like it was raining out it was hot it was muggy it was nasty and he ended up staying in uh in in my camper and but yeah man he uh he's definitely got the drive. He's, he's all in determined and, and does very well at, at catching bass too.
0: Okay. You have finances, the proper equipment and drive on the water. What is this? Let's do some skill sets on the water then that, to, to succeed at the open level that you have to have.
2: Um, you know, I, I, it really comes down to having, making the right decisions, decision-making, understanding, understanding what the fish are doing, where the fish are going, what to do if, if your plan A or plan B doesn't work out, Um, you know, being able to make those decisions in a split to second, which, which is going to, you know, a lot of times in a lot of tournaments, things don't go the way you want and being able to back that up with the right decision is is really what I feel is going to propel somebody to, to make the elites to have a good successful year or successful tournament, you know, you know, every tournament to to be in that top, I guess top nine
0: now. I agree. Let me build on that and saying, being able to identify productive water because fish will not leave productive water, but fish will move and reposition in productive water based on fishing pressure. So the Holy Grail is finding unpressured productive water, which is just doesn't happen in the opens, right? right? So finding productive water, and then being able to make adjustments inside of that productive water. I think you do that a lot too. I see you in a lot of areas of the lake. A lot of the times over the last couple of years, I feel like we're in the same sections, the same areas of the lake. And I've had bad tournaments, and I'm how many times have I come to you and been like, you're doing what? Like you're cat you're cat you're you're kidding, right? You're not catching them and you're like, yeah, dude. You've been able to find little little adjustments and then it's been vice versa. I've done the same thing too, but I think that a good opens angler is able to find productive water and then make adjustments in that productive water instead of bailing and running.
2: Right. That's what, you know, last couple of years, that's kind of been my mindset is always stay ahead of the fish. Don't get behind them. You know, where, if I'm catching them here, where are they going? You know, where do these fish want to go? If, if I leave this spot and 15 other boats come to the spot, push these fish off, where are they going to go? And that's, you know, it's always been kind of my mindset on the waters, stay ahead of the fish and and uh, getting usually it pans out or a lot of times it has
0: execution massive. I had Miles Berghoff on yesterday. We talked about that. He had a big talk with me about, dude. How many times do you go out and practice hooking and landing fish? Go back to that Bilge podcast Rick Clunn was talking about, like hook points, keeping the hook points moving towards the boat. There's all sorts of stuff like that. But in the opens, the guys who execute the best hook-to-land ratio finish the highest bar none because one mistake isn't 10 places, it's 50 places.
2: Yeah, it's dude, it's... Yeah, when we did last year, I mean... In the last couple of years I mean you know obviously everybody loses fish and and I know you and miles talked about it yesterday you just a lot of times you can't help it the way the fish eats it eats the bait or whatever but I mean I can I can go back and you know just lost fish that I've had on that I've seen that I've had by the boat that have come off I'd be on the elite series right now um you know which is I mean that's that's rewarding to know that I've been around those fish and whatever but yeah I mean execution is is so big you, you cannot lose those fish um under your control it's it's everything
0: so i think why when i fun fish do i not lose them why in the opens on game day do they seem to come off and i think it goes back to pressure as well i firmly believe that if you're in an area with a lot of boats those fish are eating it differently on oneida at ross barnett places like that at, at even at hartwell on on by the end of the second day and day three i think you do have a tendency to lose more because the fish are not as aggressively attacking the bait because they're feeling that whatever, whether you want to call it pinging or waves or pressure or trolling motors or whatever, the school's getting busted up. But I think the bite is different in the tournament a lot of the time, unless you find
2: that Holy grail spot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you say oneida uh, this year, I lost a couple of fish in the tournament, a couple of good ones. Um, on a tube, which in practice, I, you know, when I first got out there, I was trying to shake them off, and I was hooking them. And then, as uh as t- practice went on, I was actually I was cutting my hook off below the barb, and I actually caught some fish <laughs> that I got all over the boat, and I just boat flipped them, and I didn't even have a hook on. It was cut below the barb, and they were just hanging onto it, or like, you know, the, the little little bit of hook that was out yeah. there was just kind of barely into their skin, and I was able to get those fish in there. I was like, you know what, it's how do you lose them in the tournament? But I think it's, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of pressure too. I mean, maybe you're, you know, you're not taking your time or you're you're hurrying too much or, or whatever. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of different things that can happen, but um, yeah, I think, I think pressure definitely, you know, the way they eat it and, and all that is, is definitely a big, big factor too. I,
0: uh, I bellied one between six and seven on a, a, a hitchhiker on a drop shot on the James river the first year we were up there hitchhiker that's no hook it's just a worm mm. screwed into a hitchhiker and yeah. got it out in the tide and in the current and wouldn't let go and wouldn't let go and wouldn't let go and i just brought it up next to the side of the boat and was like that's, that's a giant one I reached out that's <laughs> just wild. let go then
2: it's crazy it's crazy and then I'm
0: dumped looking. him in the derby mm. no hook not even a cut off hook no hook just plastic
2: nice. so it always seems to work like that for whatever reason but yeah, if you can, if you could catch every single fish that bites your bait and the best opens in competition days, it'd be definitely be a different outcome every year.
0: So my last thing that I think is important as an open angler to have success is, is you have to be extremes. You have to be incredibly linear and never deviate from the game plan, which puts you apart from the guys who are like, oh my gosh, it's not working out and they start running or you have to be so far at the other end of the spectrum. I'd throw a soak up into this like an Amart type deal. I'm not comparing him to Amart. I'm just saying Amart's another example of that. Someone who's has never been afraid to deviate from the norm. Remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but you have to be committed to either style. You have to do extremes. You have to be look good. Keith, Pochet did this year. He won the overall extreme. Mm-hmm. Go back and look at the guys who are doing it. They're either extremely linear and don't eat or they're one end of the spectrum, one end or the other. Would you agree with that in the opens with that many boats? You can't do the same thing as everyone else
2: and expect different results. Absolutely. Yep. And a lot of that comes from confidence too. I mean, it's a uh, confidence in, in your ability to, to go do different things and, and, uh, and figure them out and figure out how to catch them different ways. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you're not, you're not just going to be able to go out and, and do it exactly what everybody else is doing and just pull the field away.
0: Uh, I think hella bass, we could have just saved this whole conversation. Number one, old money. Number two, single or blindly supportive spouse. Number three, genetic resistance to skin cancer. Number four, hungry to fish every waking minute. Number five, good personality.
2: Those are some good ones. Hello, bass. Yeah,
0: I want to see a rich, lingering ice fishing series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the man is not a fan of the ice. No, he's not. All right, Joel. Uh, hopefully, this hasn't come across as like raining on my end either. But uh, this was basically phone conversations. Like the same thing we talked about today is phone conversations that go on across the country at all different levels of fishing. Would you not agree? Mm hmm what's next on your plate? You just like hanging out before Christmas?
2: Yeah, just kind of hanging out. I mean, I've, I've been busy. I've been doing, I was down in Kansas. I uh, was doing a little bit of work helping my my buddy built a patio down there. And then I came home and I was been in Wisconsin the last week hunting, uh, deer hunting. And now I'm back here in Minnesota and it's starting to snow right now. So I'm going to go shovel the driveway and the sidewalks when we get off here. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, uh, gotta kind of sit down and, and figure all that out you know I'm gonna you know, maybe try to find find some work here for for this winter and just kind of it's kind of rolling with it right now trying to trying to figure out what i wanna what I wanna do and and wait for the uh ice to get off
0: and then start guiding yeah uh we had hang it who's the dude who won wins ever who won everything up in Minnesota I had him on the show earlier no, year. yeah Noah And he kind of went through the entire Minnesota tournament scene, which really seems to be taking, maybe it's just because I'm paying more attention to it, but it seems like there's a lot of really cool opportunities up there for both individual and team and bigger money events up in Minnesota now than ever before.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there is. Honestly, I haven't, I haven't fished a lot in Minnesota um, since I moved up here. Uh, You know, I kind of, traveling nationally and just fishing some some little local jackpot stuff you know throughout the week when i have been home but um i actually fish with soby a few few of the tuesday nighters he does a good a good uh youtube series on his tuesday night tournaments here in minnesota throughout the summer but <clears throat> um yeah i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna explore a lot of those and, and fish a lot of stuff you know around the state uh next year local regional stuff and just gonna jump in jump in where i can and uh excited for it and excited to fish around the house here and um, see, see what happens. Are you, are you going to be fishing the St. Jude again?
0: That's, uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, I got to talk to Bart. So the tournament, the Open before the St. Jude is a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And the St. Jude is a Saturday, Sunday. And it's in Virginia, the Open. Well, I don't want to miss the St. Jude because it's the coolest tournament that I've ever fished. It's for the most legitimate, best cause ever. Have a chance to raise a lot of money through the Crabby Chronicles and BTL. So Bart's like, well, how's that going to work? And I was like, we'll figure it out. Because if I don't make the final day, I can drive 18 hours and make the meeting on Friday night if I leave right after the weigh-in on Thursday because it's Wednesday, Thursday. If I make the final day... Then I might have to leave my truck and fly and but I said, listen, I said I'll strap a GoPro on and I will be at the St. Jude this year. So yes, I'm fishing it. Awesome. With zero practice, regardless. I will not have any practice whatsoever. So I'm relying solely on Adam Bartuzek's experience. Plus last year, dude, I caught like a five eighty eight on a jerk bait. It was the craziest that's, thing I've ever seen. I'm that's, that's yeah. a big one. I, I say this before I go, Soby mentioned that. You're talking about Sam Soby, uh that is a dude in my – I have so much respect for Sam Sobey. He is ta- He is taken – that's a dude who sees opportunity in everything. That Tuesday night – uh, Tourney Tuesdays, right, is what it's called?
2: Tuesdays, yeah.
0: So – and I'm not – I don't know how the YouTube algorithm works as far as monetizing it or anything. I think that's all he does is YouTube stuff and mm-hmm. different – but he has taken, you guys have a crazy cool deal up there where you have so many lakes, it's almost like they, sh- you you know, they should nickname that state like the land of 10,000 lakes because there's lakes everywhere. But, but it's still like a Tuesday nighter where it's at Lake Thunderbird for 15 weeks in a row and everyone fishes the same brush piles and you don't want Joe to see what you're doing because he'll be on your brush pile if he gets a better draw than you. Mm-hmm. They fish a different lake every Tuesday oh, for so like he- 10 or 12 Tuesdays. So you can give up the juice on that lake that Tuesday and do a awesome YouTube video on that lake, mm-hmm. and then go to the next one, and you're not
2: burning the next Tuesday's fish because it's on a different pond. Yeah, there are so many. There are so many lakes up here. I mean, you know, a lot of three hundred acre to thousand acre lakes. There are everywhere, literally everywhere, and they all just have tons of fish in them. It's they're very fertile and. It's it's a pretty awesome pretty awesome place to live if you if you like to just go out in these smaller lakes and just go catch a ton of fish.
0: And then he turns every Tuesday night into the Bassmaster Classic on the video.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm know, sitting
0: you, there living it with him. Like, dude, you you know, you you need to catch a limit to stay in the top, to stay in the top three and what the weight is and are you gonna have it in and the lucky banana shirt and everything. Phenomenal what what Sobe does over
2: there. Yeah, and he's he's good on the camera, he knows how to He's not good at cribbage, but he's uh, he's really good at, at what he does on the camera. Well, he
0: said you suck at cribbage. He said you're not the best cribbage player. Well,
2: yeah, that's that's what he says. We'll we'll strap a GoPro on the next game because I don't think he's ever beaten me. To be completely honest,
0: you guys want to play cribbage live on BTL? You're more than welcome. Next time you're together, find it. I'll fire up BTL. I'll have the studio at my house by then. I'm actually did some painting last night on the new studio at the crib, so I'll nice. I'll put it full screen and you guys can can have a live cribbage cribbage game, and I'll I'll. Uh, I don't even know how do you, what is that called? Announce cribbage. That's a Northern thing, Joel. Yeah. All right. I'm going to let you go. Uh, that was a, I really enjoyed the heck out of that. It's been long overdue to have you on BTL. So thank you. Uh, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Appreciate you having me on. And,
2: uh, if anybody's got any questions or, or anything like that, you know, always feel free to reach out to me, shoot me an email or shoot me a message. I'm always, I was willing to answer questions, help anybody out that has any questions on anything or, or whatever else. Um, yeah, no, I had a good time, and uh, I'll definitely definitely uh, get my ducks in a row, and, and I'll be back and, and chasing it again here sooner or later.
0: Good stuff. Thank you, dude. I appreciate it. Thank you. That was Joel Willard in a very interesting BTL. Like I said, I'm not – I wasn't sure where that was going to go, but – that's the truth. That's the real stuff. And Joel's really good, and I, he should have a job in the industry freelance and be fishing the Opens this year. Just saying. All right, tomorrow, uh, another guy who's hustled and grinded and made his way to the top, and he's back at the Opens and is figuring stuff out as he goes. Uh, become pretty good friends with this guy over the last couple years, and that uh, is Andrew Upshaw. He's got some big announcements, some big things that he's doing next year that are outside the box to supplement fishing wow. the Opens. The guy wins a, a Toyota Series, an FLW Tour event, jumps in the Opens, is rooming you know, half of the house. Me and Andrew are the ones that are left. Hallman and, and Sokup are on to the Elite Series. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the TV side of things. TV is still very viable. Uh, one of the things that I realized filming a show, and I said, dude, you got to come on and talk about this. And then at that same time, He had some stuff going on with his hands, health-wise, injury-wise. So we're going to get Andrew on to talk about that tomorrow on BTL. And then, like I said, big announcement on Thursday as far as... I, I think I've only met Frank Scalish in person one time, and it was in passing, like with Mark Jeffries, when I, like, very first time. One of the times I think we went to... To, he was off of the Elite Series by then, but we were up north and him and Mark went and got a beer together. And he's like, all right, all right, you know, I was just an intern at the time. Maybe some, some in studio details about the man, Frank Scalish. So big shout out. Big thanks to Joel Willard. Remember, uh, don't forget if you haven't signed up for it, bestontour.net. Sign up for it. Weekly newsletter. Win the clothing prize pack. Everyone wins on that. This has been. Another edition of BTL Bass Talk Live. We'll talk to everyone tomorrow. Andrew Upshaw on a Wednesday. See everyone later.